queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Plourde, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. We have a special bonus for the Doses podcast subscribers. Normally, therapy sessions are totally confidential. But Dr. Hillary McBride opens the doors to let you in on sessions with her long-standing clients in other people's problems. This is what people sound like when they talk with someone they trust about healing, addiction, parenting stress, racist ideologies in the families, and other topics that feel so timely as we come through this difficult time. We have the first episode from the new season for you. It's about Julia, a mother trying hard to raise a young child with the kind of emotional support she herself never got. You'll also hear how she struggled for years with bipolar and addiction and how that plays with her new role as a parent. Have a listen. Okay. I want to hear a little bit about how you are. I want to hear about how you've been since I saw you last and then we can jump in to where we left off if that feels good. I'm all right. A very challenging time to be a parent. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm having a frustrating day because I'm like, check, today's a work day and I would really like to go back to work. So it's feeling very challenging to like mm-hmm. be a, a working mother at the moment. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Hillary McBride and this is Other People's Problems. You're listening to a real-life therapy session with a client that we're calling Julia. Julia and I started working together a few years ago. She was referred to me by her psychiatrist, and when we first met, she told me that she was hoping to have a child one day and wanted to use therapy as a chance to, to give her mental health some attention before she started the journey of motherhood. It became clear early on in our work together that Julia had a trauma history that was impacting her mental health, her quality of life, and just how she felt about herself on a day-to-day basis. We've done a lot of hard work together processing her trauma and helping her learn how to feel her feelings instead of shutting them down or numbing them out. And now I'm happy to share that she's a mother to a precious little baby boy. Her life is really different than it used to be. And if you met her at a mom's group or out and about, you'd have no way of knowing what life used to look like for her when she was in the middle of addiction with undiagnosed and untreated bipolar disorder. And in this session, you hear us talk about how hard that is for her, how challenging it is for her to accept her past self without denying that it really did happen and trying to negotiate how all of that fits into her identity now as a mother. You know, I thought I was going to go back to work at six months. Mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, didn't happen because the world got crazy. And now I'm back at work and I can't, there's nothing to really do. So I like go and like putter around and okay, go through the motions of doing okay. it. But 
if I'm not like really doing stuff there, then like, you know, I'm a terrible mother for like sending my kid to daycare mm. when I should be wanting to be with him like 24 hours a day, which is ridiculous because it's good for him to be at daycare. And it's also good for me to have a life, but it's just a lot of, I don't know, programming or something. It's really difficult, you know, it's like, but that's again, like that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous mm-hmm. thing to think. Somebody else was asking me if they should do this. I would be like, absolutely. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can hear both of these parts inside of you. The part that's feeling really guilty and has learned to feel, feel guilty because of all of the programming around motherhood. But then there's this also this other part of you that knows I'm allowed to take this space and these things are good. And it sounds like those two parts of you are in conflict with each other. I can hear them going back and forth. Yeah. I have a lot of conflict like that. Yeah. It's really important to me that like, like one of the most important things that that I feel like I can give him is like emotional regulation skills. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is like going against my own, the way that I was taught. Yes. If I like want him to have a different experience then like actively I have to learn how to do something that doesn't come innately to me in a lot of ways uh, that's really hard because he's also now a toddler that has mm-hmm. opinions and feelings and mm-hmm. um it can be very it can be very frustrating I like shouted at him in the middle of the night because I'm so tired and I feel mm-hmm. terrible about that right like it's a sucky terrible thing and all I can think about is like oh now I'm like <laughs> for life and his like brain his like you know brain is going to be mapping itself (laughs) which is ridiculous oh yeah that guilt comes in so strong yeah when it's a critic around that something I want to do so much for him is like Mm -hmm. enable him to to not like have this like giant pile of guilt that he carries around for 37 years before he like right exists you know yeah yeah, but that's a lot of pressure to put it on myself. Good. I'm glad you noticed that. Julia has this predisposition to see most of her life through the framework of guilt. It seems that somewhere inside of her, there is this deeply held belief that she's doing something wrong if she's not doing it perfectly. And it seems like That's particularly true about her relationship with parenting. So what Julia is bumping up against is this reality that she wants something very different for her child than was given to her. And if you take that, I want to do something different and you mix it with this guilt hook that lives inside, I think it sets a parent, particularly a mother up really well to feel the gap between who you'd like to be and who you are and to kind of make sense of that gap with a guilt narrative that says that you know I'm doing it wrong I should be doing it better and you know look at all the ways that I'm failing and it happens to be that in this very moment we're in a pandemic and all of these resources that might support her those resources are relatively inaccessible and so I think for her there's also this added layer of doing it all feeling really alone. Can I pause you right here for a moment? 
I want to see if we can dip into what's happening inside. This is you lay this all out for me. Guilt, working, sleeping, emotion regulation, learning something at the same time as you're teaching it. How, how is it on the inside as you lay that all out for me? Feels like I'm spinning. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to trying to catch all the balls before they hit the ground. Okay. I want to give you a moment to notice that spinning feeling, but notice that we're together here. What's going on inside of you? I feel very guilty. Mm. I feel guilty about things that even haven't happened yet. Right. I think some like fear and some loneliness. Mm-hmm. It's a little tender as you say it. Well, I didn't think that parenting would feel so lonely. It was not what you were expecting. No, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple ways that I feel lonely. Um, see if you can stay with it here. <clears throat> stay with me. I'm just noticing as you as you describe that loneliness and I see some of the emotion on your face. And I feel some sadness rise up in me. And kind of ache in my chest. You felt so lonely. Well, I guess that's what loneliness is, sadness, right? Mm-hmm. How is it to know that I'm feeling some sadness hearing about yours? Mm. Yeah. Ooh, confusing. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to having a person that knows all of the things that I'm struggling with. Like, I think I have like pockets of people that know like part of the story, but for some reason, like those people can't know all of the things. Like can't or don't. Don't. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Can't. Like I have my mom friends, but like they, you know, I'm not going to talk to them about addiction stuff. Mm -hmm. They certainly do not know about my mental health stuff. And so everything's just feeling really compartmentalized. And so when you're asking me to just be present with all of the things, if I think it feels like my brain is like, but wait, yeah. that's not how this works. Right. Can you notice what's happening to that lonely feeling inside? I don't know. I feel confused, kind of. Mm. I don't think I like realized this compartmentalized stuff about myself mm-hmm. before and so now it feels I think it's exacerbating the loneliness a little bit oh can you tell me more about that I really want to understand I really want to understand what you mean by that well it's like all the all the addiction stuff for example mm-hmm. and the mental health stuff like that stuff that's never going to exist in a sphere with the like friends and stuff that I make as a parent mm-hmm. Because how do you tell a new friend where you're like finding someone to play with your kid? Like, oh yeah, well also I was in a psychiatric institution 10 years ago, you know? And so it feels like there's like this uncrossable divide. I think like stuff from the past years making it a little bit more painful than it might've been otherwise, Mm -hmm. because it's no longer like, here's this thing in my past that happened to somebody that I'm not anymore. It's like, this stuff is still present in my life in a way that I was hoping it would not be. 
Okay. Right. I hear little bits of shame around that. And even on your face, the kind of like, oh, the wincing. Between today's wellness fads and news about tomorrow's medical breakthroughs, it's hard to know what health information actually applies to you. Luckily, there's a podcast that breaks through the noise, TED Health from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts that break down the questions you didn't know you had. Will eating a plant-based diet make you healthier? How does your neighborhood impact your health? How will medical treatments change in the future? Learn all this and more on TED Health. Find TED Health wherever you get your podcasts. She's not active in her addictions right now. And she has done a lot of work to put quite a bit of distance between the part of her that uses substances to manage distress and where she is right now in her life. The challenge for her is that her partner whom she met kind of through the recovery process is still active in their addiction. And what that means for Julia is having to feel this blending of these two worlds, this old life and this new life, and know that as much as she's worked, she is still very much in relationship and in love with and in family life day to day with a partner who is still struggling and she can see it and it's hurting her. These are things that carry lots of pain and shame for you and I think what I'm really hearing is that the shame and pain about them keeps you alone because you can't let you can't let just anybody in to everything you've been carrying. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm a recovered alcoholic and I'm like, you know, don't regret my past and really open. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not my story. And I don't particularly like want it to be. You know, like some of the first like trauma stuff that I did with you is about trying to like reconnect myself with that small scared person from the past. And now I just like don't want anything to do with her Um, because I don't want to be impacted by this at all. And there's people Mm -hmm. that like take their kids to AA meetings and are very open about it. And I don't, you know, I don't agree with that. And also I like never want my son to know this. Mm -hmm. Um, So the wall dividing things in your life is not just with other people and how you let people in, but it sounds like also internal too, like something you are trying to, to section off. I guess so. Well, I just like, don't, I don't want, like doctor said, Oh, well someday you're going to have to tell him about the bipolar because Mm. maybe he'll have it too. But I just feel like, why? Like, why do I have to? Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. That feels really scary. But, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure that, like, splitting myself in half like this is mm-hmm. also not helpful for me, you know? But mm-hmm. something about, like, having a child and then, like, that shame, like, the mm-hmm. idea of him, like, ever having to know anything about that just makes mm-hmm. me feel, like, very upset. Mm-hmm. I can see that that's surfacing and I want to make room for that together. I don't want to make room I for it. I know. I think she describes it so poignantly, this thing that so many of us do. We have a, a part of our story that we feel shame about. We, oh, we wish didn't exist, that it wasn't somehow part of our biography. And so we dissociate from it. We create these 
uh, defensive splits and sometimes consciously, but most of the time unconsciously. And the way that Julia has done this, I think for the most part is unconscious, right? Not thinking about parts of her life, not revisiting them, but maybe even some conscious ways too, that as she's made new friends and built a new community, she's not let people know about her diagnoses or her history of addiction. That has been a way to protect herself from having to confront the shame that she feels about that part of her life, but also I think protecting her from feeling the shame or the judgment of other people. As much as the nature of this podcast is to elucidate the real truth about what it is to be human and to share our stories and our pain with other people, the stigma around mental health issues is pervasive. Most of the time it runs in the background of our language and our psyches, the kinds of things we say or don't say about, ask about. And I think that there's a real usefulness to some degree in Julia's protection, this kind of severing off to make sure that she isn't judged and hurt more by people who don't understand her. I know it's really hard to be with. It's really uncomfortable stuff to feel. Just wanted to go away. You know, it's a huge part of my like life that was wasted. And I don't think that there was like some lesson I learned about myself mm. in that, you know, like the lesson was I was like mentally ill and I like, didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's not mm-hmm. a lesson. That's just like an unfortunate thing that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't go to AA anymore. You know, I don't know. We've also talked about you not finding it helpful or that perhaps there are other strategies that you might need to practice more, but that is interesting to think about if it's, it's also a way to avoid naming the reality of what was. And I think, I think of you in all of those years, not as like learning some lesson and some a way where a great cosmic force is punishing you into some kind of wisdom, but that you were doing the best that you could to survive. You were caring for yourself the only way that you knew how, which is to not feel, to disconnect, to get away from what it was like to be you inside. So part of the healing, this is different now because we don't need to keep shoving things down or running them, running away from them or cutting them off to survive that we can really be with both the challenging feelings and the really, really enjoyable ones. I just wish it could have been different. I know. And I feel guilty that it wasn't. It's like, how do you fix something that you don't know is a problem? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, how do you, you know, how do you be sick and how do you be addicted to drugs and like not know, you know, like I remember being in the hospital and them just being like, yeah, no, you have like a drug and alcohol problem. I was like, no, I don't. Mm. And so then it's like, you know, this like 10 year struggle of like trying to like figure out how to define myself. Mm-hmm. Now I just mm. don't want to do it at all. I don't want to define myself. I don't want to. I don't want that to be part of my like identity. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, so you don't say that you wouldn't say anymore that you're an addict. And I was like, no, because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel true to me. Mm-hmm. 
although the addiction was present in her life, it wasn't really the problem. It was the solution. It was the thing that she was engaging in to manage this internal distress, to manage the emotions that were otherwise too big to feel. Really for her, it was to cope with unresolved trauma. So my thinking is less about, you know, understanding what label to call her and more to think about who is this person and how does this kind of coping make sense in her life? For her, the thing that actually was more problematic or has been more central to her identity is having a bipolar diagnosis and how that was put on her and how that has followed her in ways that has ways that have confounded her ability to see herself as good and valuable and actually wise. Labels have been really harmful for her, but what has been freeing, what's been liberating is understanding the, the ways that her feelings work the connection that her feelings have to the behavior that she engages in and how it could be for her to begin to see herself differently when so many other people have labeled her and it's done her harm. I think there's a way to, to acknowledge that it happened and be compassionate towards the you that was doing her best to survive and know that your identity was never in addiction was never in illness that your identity has always been something much deeper i used to feel like that mm-hmm. and lately i just feel angry at that person okay. and what she like cost me okay and that's not i mean that's not rational right like it's mm. not it's like yelling at a puppy a little bit for lack of a better you know well let's get curious about that for a moment how is it I'm wondering for the part of you that is angry at her what it gets by being angry at her how that helps you I mean it probably keeps me from having to like feel any of those things like any of that pain and yeah probably makes it easier to not move towards her just to kind of keep her at an arm's length and push that part of you away. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't feel willing to do it. Mm, I hear that. And that's weird to say. (laughs) I think it's partially too like a method to like separate myself Mm -hmm. even more from something that I want so badly to keep separate from my son. Mm -hmm. Protecting you and protecting him by keeping this part of your life as far away as possible. Yeah. And yet I feel, I feel so interested in what surfaced a lot of this, which is, I know this part of you and have spent a lot of time getting to know her and loving her and welcoming her into our work together that I know about her. And you can't necessarily (laughs) anymore keep, keep me from that because you've already let me all the way into to the pain that she holds mm-hmm. that's true I'm curious for you about how it would be for you if I symbolically in this work together held all of these parts of you until you knew how to maybe you could still be angry at this part of you and all of her pain and her struggle 
but that you and I could be here together and I would be tender towards her until you're ready to. It sounds like a relief, but I like don't know why. <laughs> Can we just stay with the relief for a moment instead of having to figure out why just yet? Just letting it feel relieving for a moment. Yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. What's going on in there? I think I feel relieved. <laughs> I can make. I can let you help me, or you decide mm-hmm. how to figure that part out. Mm. What to do with her? Because I don't know. I'm. I think I might be busy, like figuring out how to be a mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know that sounds really weird. Oh, and let's just stay with this. Like if I can be the one, like couples therapist is too strong of a word, (laughs) but like if I could be the therapist who bridges something between the two of you, helps you work, work out what's going on. I'm wondering if, if I'm taking that responsibility on, if that changes how you feel towards her, if you change, if it changes some of the like real resistance or anger. I think if I'm not responsible for figuring out how to deal with that, that feels helpful. And that feels like a relief because it means like, I don't have to try to untangle this like very nasty, deep rooted part of myself Yeah. until I'm like ready until there's like a strategy on how to do it. Like I don't have to do this because I don't know how to do it. If I knew how to do it, I would have done it already. Do you know what I mean? You're so right. I know exactly what you mean. And when there is that relief, what does that do? What does it do to the anger towards her? Well, I feel less angry. Okay. And I just feel sad for her. Oh, yeah. You don't need to work so hard to keep her away. Yeah. So a little bit of anger there, but a little bit less, which tells us something about maybe the function that the anger was serving. Like if it feels really scary to move towards her because you're trying to protect yourself from all of that pain and everything that happened, then having someone else come in with a roadmap or a strategy or a way to connect or hold all of these parts of you means you don't have to be working so hard to push her away. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. And it feels a little bit like I don't have to figure it out now then mm-hmm. yeah less pressure pressure right like you said then you can focus when we're not together on being a mom doing your very best at that hmm. thanks for trusting me to be the one to hold her and hold you thank you for taking her off my hands for a little while I know that you might feel differently for now but I really love this part of you. This part of you that has all this pain and is sick. I have what feels like bottomless affection for her. And so it is not burdensome for me at all to think about holding this part of you while I also tend to who you are today and hopefully weave weave it all together. Mm-hmm. You're doing beautiful work. Thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean it.
So I think it's so easy for us to get into the story that only the happy parts of us are acceptable or only the, the parts of us that have the most success or easily identified strengths, that those parts are somehow what makes us valuable. And I've just found so much richness and value in the places where there has been grief and loss and pain and trauma that almost like these little pearls that when we open up the the oyster shell which is kind of gnarly and scratchy on the outside that there is something in there of worth of great value i found that in my own life i see that in every single person that i work with and i want her to know that that she doesn't have to put the hard things away for me to value her and in fact it's because because of the richness and the complexity of her story that I can care about her more that I can connect with her more that I that I know and feel the richness of the encounter between us Hillary McBride. Other People's Problems is produced and edited by Jody Martinson. Mixed and music by Lee Rosevere. Fabiola Carletti is our digital producer. Arif Nirani is the executive producer of CBC Podcasts. That was the first episode from Season 4 of Other People's Problems. Listen to more episodes on the CBC Listen app and wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.